0: It's somebody once gave me notes on a play, I'm unasked, by the way.
1: Unsolicited, Unsolicited advice. Uh,
0: it was, um, it was a, a member of the cast's husband just read the play and sent me uh, an email and said, here are my thoughts. And I'd never met this person. It's like backstage, but there's no stage. It's the standby for places green room. Welcome to In the Green Room.
1: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of In the Green Room. I am your host, Margie Zarcone, and I am joined today by Larry Phillips, who has written Talent is Sexy and is also one of the stars. Thank you for joining me, Larry. Thank you for having me. So, Larry, (laughs) you are an actor and a playwright. Yep. Did both of these develop simultaneously, or did acting come before playwriting? How did that happen?
0: Acting came way before playwriting. Like decades before playwriting. I made my stage debut at the age of four. Um, (laughs) And I didn't start writing seriously until about 30. Um, I dabbled in it a little in high school, I was actually pushed a lot by by teachers in English and and theater departments to write, but um, never really gave it a a whirl until uh, after college.
1: Any particular reason, or were you just consumed oh. with acting and...
0: Well, I, I fell in love with acting first. And um, I think writing just seemed harder. <laughs> I mean, it really did. Um, it it was just something that um, seemed harder and didn't seem to come as naturally at the time. Um, but I think I've grown into it now. It's funny when I first started to uh, produce plays that I wrote and would also be in. I was very nervous about having my name on both ends because I assumed everybody would be like, "Oh, who's this jerk who thinks he can act and write?" And I was like, "Oh, maybe I should write under a pseudonym. This way, you know, Joe Schmo who comes to see the show wouldn't know that the guy playing that part also wrote it." And I was like, "No, no, no. I want I want credit for what I do. Like, you know." So I assumed always that people would say that, but luckily it hasn't happened too often.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's funny, acting is so personal, Mm -hmm. but to me writing is a whole different level. It's such an extension of Mm -hmm. yourself and there's a lot of assumptions that go into, oh they they wrote this, that means it happened to them, this character is based on them, blah, blah, blah. Almost like songwriting in a way.
0: So much so that it's, it's actually ridiculous that sometimes, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's something personal in every play. And of the plays that I've written, there are definitely ones that are much more uh, based on someone or something or myself than others, but it is, it's amazing. Everyone assumes that everything you've written Happened to you or is, is in your deeper uh mindset. It's it's fascinating. It's to the point now where I will literally tell people beforehand, this isn't about you. This isn't about the fight we had. <laughs> 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 but the play that we're gonna talk about today, Talon is sexy, um, is inspired by someone. It didn't necessarily happen to me, but somebody inspired
1: it. You play the character of Noah. Did mm-hmm. you write Noah? with yourself in mind to play the character? Not not not. did you write Noah as you, but did you write Noah imagining that mm, maybe I'll play this character?
0: No. Um, oh. This has actually happened to me a few times where I've sat down to write a play, visioning a specific character for myself, and then when it gets to production, not playing that character. Uh, it's, yeah. it's happened a few times. It's um, actually, it, I would say it's about 50-50. Um, when I wrote this play originally, I, I planned on playing one of the more supporting roles and, um, I realized when I did a reading, like a, a small scale, a table read of it, uh, after the second draft, just to hear it out loud with some actors that I wasn't interested in playing the role I wrote for myself anymore as an actor. Um, I had played something similar to it recently and, um, you know, one of the nice things about being the writer is, is sometimes you can allow yourself to stretch where casting directors and directors might not see that you can stretch to. It can also mean that you stretch too far sometimes as well, <laughs> where you start to cast yourself in ways that you should never be cast. But, um, but in this case, no, I hadn't written Noah originally for me, no.
1: It's interesting. I hear and meet a lot of actor directors but not a lot of actor playwrights Mm -hmm. who will be in their own work. Do you find it difficult to kind of split your brain in rehearsal from playwright to actor? Or do you ever have those thoughts that are playwright thoughts when you're in rehearsal, but you need to be concentrating on your character?
0: Yeah, um, it's... I've been doing it for a while now, so I think I've gotten a little more used to it, but um, generally the way I think of it is, um, the playwright is in the room, he's alive. (laughs) So if you have questions, ask me. Um, And generally speaking, I like to have worked with the director prior to starting rehearsals a lot on the script. So there's not a ton of script work that could happen in rehearsal now that doesn't mean that script work doesn't happen it sure does um but i usually take the first week or two of the actual rehearsal process um uh, more as a playwright than a than an actor so sometimes i'm a little bit behind on being off book <laughs> whoops um, but um yeah it's it's usually the beginning part that's more playwright centered. but i haven't found a hard time balancing both um, i'm open to ideas, best idea wins. If it's me, if it's the director, if it's the scenic designer, if it's another actor in the show, if it's the stage manager. If, if a joke ain't landing and you got a better punchline, let's hear it. One of the reasons that I um, loved playing Noah in Talent of Sexy is he's a ridiculously upbeat, optimistic person. And it, that's not something that I get cast as often. And it's not something I've written for myself as often. And once you play somebody like that, it is a little bit of like a drug. Somebody that's just constantly happy is is really interesting. And I found myself when when I did the next read and played that, that it was so much more interesting to me than what I was used to doing. And a little bit of a challenge um, because that's not, like I said, how I'm usually cast, but uh, it's intoxicating. And I have found that he has this confidence that isn't necessarily cocky. No, no. It's just positivity. It's just, hey, I'm here. This is what I love. This is what I want to do.
1: He's sure of himself. Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. and he's going to give his all to it. And um, that can be a beautiful thing no matter what area of life you put it into, but it can also be a dangerous thing because it can put up blinders to uh, perception, which is a good thing and a bad thing.
1: How did you find your way into that?
0: Well, I think having written it, I knew who he was um so 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 here's the gossip um it's not based on a real event but it is based on um a real date or two i've gone on in life okay and um uh, without saying too much just in case the person's out there and listens (laughs) i won't reveal names but I've, i've 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 met somebody once who who came to new york to be an actor and was a little um bit older You know, they weren't, like, 23, 24, 25. They They're they're in their 30s. Um, And just was the most optimistic, I'm here, I'm ready, I'm going to be on Broadway in two years. And I just, the the whole first date, I just thought, wow, this is really charming and really intoxicating, like you said. Then on the second date, (laughs) listening to this, Listening to this a little more, I realized there was some delusion behind it. Um, And and I thought to myself, and I said it silently, I didn't say it out loud, while this person was talking and telling me all their grand plans about starring in Dear Evan Hansen in a few months, having just got off the bus, um, I thought, oh, you're not good. I don't know what it was, but just something about the way this person was talking, I was like, "Oh, you're not good. You are not good," and um, that's kind of what triggered the play because I thought, "Well, can you be in a relationship with somebody who gives their life to something that they're not good at and isn't going to get very far um, in any field?" It, it it's really the 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 crux of the play, and 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 really the crux of relationships in life is if somebody is not good at something and they're throwing their entire life and money and schedule and other, and it's affecting other relationships and it affects the way they live and they're not good at it. Should you step in and allow them to know that maybe they're being disillusional, but at the same time, who are you to take away someone's joy? if this is what's truly making them happy.
1: It's a complicated thing, sure. Espe- especially with especially with Noah, because he is getting work. What? It's not good work, <laughs> but he's getting, I mean, we've all been in those shows in New York that oh. you're like, uh, you know, I'm just doing this because I need like, mm-hmm. Something to do, <laughs> some something to fill the gap in my resume for right now works right now. But when Cal says, "Would you be willing to make this just a hobby?" I think their relationship would have lasted if if Noah had said, uh, "Oh, oh, you know, uh, I I was just thinking of it as a hobby." <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I, we, we discussed this in, in the rehearsals, which is if Cal had been honest with him after the first performance that he saw, there's a possibility this could have worked, this relationship.
1: But really? The, I think the opposite. I think it would have been. Not,
0: I, I mean, I'm not, I'm, not, I, I'm not saying that it wouldn't, that you're wrong. I think, it, I think it, there's a possibility it could have been anyway, but I think there was a, that was the only possibility. Once he continued this trek of lying for a year and a half, Right. I think that's where it became impossible to come back from. Um, yeah, definitely. But I, I do agree that there is, a, I, I do think that there is a possibility that this was a doomed relationship, period. But if it ever stood a chance, he had to speak up on that first show.
1: Within a reasonable amount of time. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Because if someone came up to me after the first, show that they saw me in, and they said they weren't crazy about it, they didn't think that I was that good, and I didn't know this person super well, I would think this person's a jerk. I don't know them that well.
0: Well, that's, that's, that's always the hard thing, I think, whether you're in a relationship or not. I always say that when, when I'm getting any type of notes or reviews or anything, I kind of want to know somebody's taste, you know, because if, if you tell me that you love Adam Sandler movies, I'm not so sure I give a shit what you think about Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: But if you're Kenneth Lonergan, I kind of care what you think about the play. (laughs) Um, So that's that's always the tricky thing. It's like, well, what is this person's taste level? Some people um, consume film, theater, television, purely as entertainment. They don't want to have deep thoughts or conversations about it. They don't want to be moved. They just want to, at the end of the day, watch something that's going to be light and fluffy. And somebody like that, not that there's anything wrong with... um,
1: They want to sit back, relax, and enjoy the show.
0: Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. But their opinion might be skewered to somebody because, oh, they didn't find it as funny or they didn't find it as relatable because they were just looking to be entertained. Whereas if somebody is looking for something a little more complex, um, their opinion might mean more. So yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, we never see Cal act. So who knows if he has any talent.
1: That was my next question was, do you think that Cal is a good actor? (laughs) Um, That's where it gets a little
0: tough for me to be a playwright and an actor, because I have to make sure I'm not making choices for other actors. Right. Uh, So that I've I've never personally made a decision on if Cal is a good actor or not. Cal thinks he was a good actor, and for the play, that's all that matters.
1: I do think it's interesting, though, when Cal comes to see Noah's first play that he's in, they don't know each other that well. So if I had someone coming to see a play that I was in, and I don't know them that well and they say that they didn't enjoy it or that you know I wasn't that great in it I wouldn't take it seriously because I don't know the person that well it could be a like oh you know this maybe this person doesn't like anything that they see maybe they always have a negative comment about Absolutely.
0: absolutely because there are those people oh my god yes oh my god yes it's it's funny um there are absolutely those people who are very harsh on everything and especially other theater professionals. Um, and I don't necessarily always think it comes from jealousy. I just think that they, they always vision themselves having been in it, written it, directed it, designed it, whatever it is. And if you're making choices that they seem to think are a little different, they may not like it. We we all have that friend who's an actor and actress who hates every actor or actress they see.
1: Mm.
0: (laughs) I have a a female friend who never likes the females in my play. Just so happens. Never has anything to say badly about the guys, but never likes the ladies. And I'm like, "Mm, that's on you. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah you're pro- you're projecting yourself into it that's or... on you
0: because i'll give you one i'll give you two but you know if you come to if see it's the, every time yeah it's is a third or fourth play and you still can't find a female performance that you've liked mm, there's something with you
1: this this play was based off of mm-hmm. someone that you had met right how many years later did you start writing this? Did you allow it to like gestate? And then it was like, oh, I wonder if this relationship actually happened, like where it would go.
0: Um, no, it was a few months.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah,
0: I, I tend to be, um, for me, writing process wise, I tend to, if I have an idea, it's best for me to sit down and just do it. Um, get that first draft out. For me, that is the hardest part—the first draft. Because once you have a first draft, you have you have you have something that you can alter, you can move scenes, you can. I've written plays with. Actually, this play is a perfect example. The very first play, um, excuse me, the very first draft of this play didn't. The character of Carrie Ann didn't exist. Okay. Uh, she didn't exist in the second draft either. It wasn't until I had that reading that I talked about earlier, where I played the other role that I said, something's missing. We need somebody for Noah to, even though they don't have like the, the, the confiding scenes that um, Cal, Jessica and Seth have, we just need somebody to help Noah feel that he's still on the right track, that he's met somebody. So um, yeah, so for me, it's, it's about getting that first draft out and then you can play with it. So yeah, once I had this thought and kind of knew who my two main characters were. Yeah, no, it was it was like right away. <laughs> no, no reason to wait.
1: Well, it sounds like it. It struck you immediately. Yeah.
0: and I'm a sucker for a show business story.
1: Was this different from the writing process that you have had with previous plays?
0: Um. No. Um. They're usually the ones that wind up working and getting produced, usually are very similar. The first draft usually comes pretty fast. And when I say fast, I don't mean like I write it in a week, but uh, I have the idea and I know where it's going as it progresses. And then usually what I do after that is I put it away for a few months so I can look at it again with fresh eyes before I do a second draft. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And then usually after the second draft, I do like to do an informal reading to hear it out loud. And that, that tells me, basically, put it away and burn it <laughs> or no, cause you, you never delete anything, you never know. Um, but, uh, or keep going and this is what it needs and this is what it doesn't need. And sometimes notes you get there from other actors or a director that you might invite uh, might be wrong, but they can still lead you down—not wrong, but not um, not where you want to go with it. But can still lead you to go. Oh, there's something missing. So, like in this play, like I said, there's something missing. There's, there's, there's. We need, we need somebody for for to be on on Team Noah.
1: I can't imagine it being without Carrie Anne too, it's because hard. otherwise it would just be this little click.
0: It's funny. It's hard for me to imagine without her either, but I know it exists. Um, and I've had the opposite thing happen too. I've written plays where I've written out characters after a first or second draft, where um, I had another play once where I had uh, a character where I went, why is she in this play? <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. other than this one moment where she says this, why is she in this play? She's just like this other character. I can just have this other character say this important moment.
1: Is it more difficult to take a character out than to add a character?
0: Um... No, I think they're about the same. Um, because I, I don't really, I've added a character twice, I think, and I've deleted a character twice, I think, Mm -hmm. and both times I've realized why. Um, I wasn't doing it to pad a cast, I wasn't doing it to make a cast smaller. I was doing it because uh, the actor in me knows that you're gonna get good actors if they have something to do. And they have a reason to be in the play. And if their reason to be in the play, the character's reason to be in the play isn't necessary, then it's gonna be hard to cast. Um, And all you're doing is padding your cast. So, but it's never gotten to the point where, like, I went into production and deleted a character. Uh, So, there was never like somebody attached to the part and then they lost their job. That's
1: right. Do you? I've heard both ways. I've heard of playwrights having their names set for the characters at the beginning or discovering it at the end and just writing like A, B, A, B all the way through, and then the name kind of comes to them.
0: I usually have a name, but I don't always stick to it. I have changed names. I don't think I changed anybody's name in this play, but I have in the past. I have been like, you know what? This isn't a Brian, this is a Ross. Um, So um, that I've done. I I do have one little, it's a nerdy writer thing. I never have two characters in the same play with the same first letter name, Mm. which I didn't know anybody ever picked up on, but I did have a director once pick up on it. And he said, thank you. You've made my blocking chart easy because I could just write everybody's letter and know who I'm talking about. Nobody has the same letter.
1: (laughs) Do you ever have in your mind that there's something you want the audience to take away from what you've written? Or is it, I'm putting this out into the universe, how it is received is of no importance to me?
0: It depends on the play. I would never say it's not of any importance. Um, But it is interesting what people take away from plays. There seems to be, from my view of the world right now, and this is not just with theater, this is with film, Intelligent 2, that representation is not an endorsement. I'm seeing things a lot of times where people don't want to see a character that might be toxic or um, misogynistic or mean and so on and so forth. And I think for me, it's much more interesting to see people how they are depicted in life than they are, if everybody's just nice to each other all the time, what is the play? Um, I mean, I guess you could write that play, but how many times could you write that play? Um, So that's the one thing that I've I've, I want people to realize is, is because a character may seem shallow, or a character might seem misogynistic, or a character might seem um entitled doesn't mean we're saying as playwrights or producers or whatever that this is how it should be we're saying these people exist and this is what happens when you butt up against them Mm. um people also tend to review plays or any media the way they want to see a player movie go Meaning like, oh, it went down this road and I didn't want that to happen. I wanted this to happen with the relationship. So therefore I didn't like it. And I don't know, to me, it's, it's, it's much more interesting. If you, if you take it in, Uh, it doesn't mean you still have to like it, but just because, um, characters don't end up happily, doesn't mean (laughs) that it's not true.
1: (laughs) Right. That that
0: would be my thing is is to, to take it in and and not make judgments about what's happening, uh, based on your preferences. But I, I think sometimes people can be so turned off so easily. I, I'm finding by by characters who speak the truth. And the thing that I say, which you know, it's my my version of life. Nobody's perfect everybody has said something that is troubling at some point in their lives.
1: Absolutely.
0: Everybody has behaved repulsively at some point in their lives. As long as we're not making that person the poster child for um, how we should act, then let's just sit back and let's see what happens. Um, You know, I, I, I go to a gym. The discussions I hear in the locker room are just... I mean, and I'm not easily thrown, but, but you go, you almost want to be like, oh, see, see, these people exist. Listen to this conversation that's happening in a bunch of strangers standing around them. Um, so I, I definitely am not making a case for um, representing people in cliched ways all the time but also understanding that uh, plays or movies or television shows where everybody is just nice and does the right thing all the time. You know, without without getting on a soapbox, I think that's kind of what in my, for me personally, kind of derailed Neil LaVute a little bit. It was actually kind of, in a weird way, refreshing in the beginning to see his characters not behave correctly. Mm-hmm. But when you did it in the
1: 30th play that you've written,
0: it's not interesting anymore. Right. Now I'm just looking for it.
1: And now I'm just thinking this is what you think. Yeah. For it. Yeah. No, I I totally agree with you with that. And I, and I also think it it must, it's always difficult to be a writer, but it must really be difficult for a writer now. Um, People are very quick to. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's hard. I mean, it's, I mean, I think we're, we're all taught, regardless of what we do in life, is that you can't please everyone all the time. Yet we all keep trying to. Yeah. <laughs> we just keep trying. Uh, and we're never going to do it. So, lesson not learned. <laughs> the best thing in the world to me is seeing a piece of theater or a movie that I know only a little bit about and being surprised by how good it is.
1: That's the best feeling.
0: Hype can ruin something for me so easily, so easily. So the less I know, the less I know what the opinion out there is. And the more you just kind of go into something, not knowing much. And then all of a sudden being like, oh my goodness, there's also something for if you're a paying customer and you did not like what you liked or what you saw, you have a right not to like it. you don't need to put it on the internet (laughs) but you have a right not to like it like like we said before everybody has different tastes everybody has different opinions and i think we we generally generally gravitate to people who share with us but that doesn't mean that we're not going to still come up against something occasionally that we just don't agree on
1: this industry is uh you're subjected to a lot of opinions from people who have absolutely no idea about how the process works. Like, I can't walk into a bank. Well, I mean, I could. Uh, you can't walk into a bank and say, like, you know, I don't agree with the way you're putting numbers in that Excel chart. I don't, I don't, right. think, it's, I don't think it's that good. I don't yeah, think it's
0: good. That's kind of what I went, meant before when I said, you know, people who are criticize plays by rewriting them. It's like, no, that's, I mean, I'm not saying it's not a valid idea, but you know, it's
1: uh,
0: (laughs) because it didn't go the way you wanted it to go doesn't make it bad. Now, if it
1: doesn't (laughs) doesn't
0: go the way you wanted it to go because there's plot holes that you can point out or but because something really ridiculous happened that, you know, if it was a grounded play and all of a sudden- It's totally
1: not plausible. Going back to the play at (laughs) the end, Noah says that he doesn't think that he can be friends with Cal, not because they dated, but because he's a reminder to him about the self-doubt that he brought in. Can you talk to me a little about that? Sure. Um,
0: I think It can be interpreted two ways. It can be interpreted uh, as a positive thing and it can be interpreted as a negative thing. Noah, you're absolutely right. Noah feels that Cal is a reminder that somebody thinks he's making a fool of himself, that he's embarrassing himself um, and that he's making bad choices. And if you had somebody like that in your life that you didn't need to have around, Mm -hmm. why would you want that person? But at the same time, is it a good idea to only fill your life with yes men? Is it a good idea to only have people around who are never going to challenge you on things? Um, I think at the end of the day, Cal was more invested in the relationship than Noah was. Um, There's a lot of I love you's in that end scene that don't get repeated. Um, But so I think while Noah absolutely enjoyed his time with Cal, he could walk away from it. Cal is right. He's like, you you quit. And you didn't seem to have a problem quitting. So... Noah is, even though he's wonderfully optimistic and positive and the type of person that seems like it'd be really nice to hang around with, can be a little selfish at times and a little bit of a sociopath at times. Um, You know, Cal is right when he says you don't make any time for anything other than your career, and it's not like your career is... uh, housing us, clothing us, feeding us. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just you doing glorified community theater at this point. But Noah feels like he needs to do that glorified community theater in order to have somebody recognize him. So Noah has changed at the end of the play. There is a little bit of doubt in him now because somebody has put it there, but he can't have that daily doubt. Because for Cal to come see Noah in his next play, whatever it would be, I mean, even if for some strange reason Cal liked it, how could he ever
1: believe it? Larry, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Oh, it was my
0: absolute pleasure. Thank you for asking me to talk.
1: This was such a blast. And if you haven't already, please, please, I implore you, listen to Talent is Sexy, written by Larry Phillips. Thank you so much. Thank you. Of course.
0: I remember coming to see a musical when I was in high school with like a speech and debate club. I'm not sure why we were coming to see a musical but we were. And um, <laughs> there was a there was a kid on the bus who was, you know, you know, like since I was in high school, you just go on the class trip because not because you're interested. You go because you don't have to go to school that day. And so on and so forth. He was like, wait, there's more than one play on Broadway. He felt like there was just like one play at a time on